welcome to a very special episode, the first bonus episode of Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. If you've read any of the discussion prompts on the blog, you've noticed that I ask a lot of questions about adapting ancient plays for a modern audience. In this bonus episode, I'm joined by Brad Poor, who wrote and directed an updated adaptation of Antigone. Brad is married to one of my dearest friends, and their son is the same age as my daughter. We recorded this interview while we were both working from home due to COVID-19. Our hope was that our respective five-year-olds would be napping. His was. Mine wasn't, so you may hear Anna in the background. What you cannot see is the balloon she is playing with occasionally flying into view. If you catch Brad giggling, that's probably why. This is a longer episode than usual, but I hope you'll find it interesting. And with that, here is our conversation about Brad's modern adaptation called Antigone Closure. Okay. Um, so, um, so I'll record another little introduction thing once I have a sense of how long, how long this winds up being so that I can let people know. Um, but yeah, so, so just to start, um, the, who are you? What do you do? Your degrees, fancy titles, all that fun stuff. Oh, geez. Uh, okay. So. (laughs) Uh, my name is Brad Poor. I am technically my title is uh, professor of theater and program coordinator uh, at Kellogg Community College in Battle Creek, Michigan. Um, I teach theater classes, and then I also teach several sections every semester of a really broad humanities class that's basically all visual and performing arts done kind of like reader's digest style um my background is is specifically in in theater i've got a bachelor's uh, bfa from valdosta state university in performance and a master's in directing uh, mfa in directing uh for stage primarily but also uh, with screen training as well um, at the university of montana cool so yeah so i knew that you were doing doing the theater teaching i didn't know you had the humanities as well it's pretty cool um so did i'm a geek of all trades so well i figure you'll be back you'll be back at some point because <laughs> you know that like at some point i'm gonna have to do um joseph campbell's heroes uh oh, yeah. journey and like yeah brad's gonna have to come back to talk star wars oh yeah man. because obviously um yeah i, I can literally <laughs> i've told my students this and they they, they tested me on it a couple times the past year i tell them at the outset of class i'm like you're not going to get out of any of my classes without there being some star wars references (laughs) because i can literally connect anything to star wars (laughs) yeah and i'm already thinking like there's going to be a whole series that like it's going to be like a whole course that's just star wars and the hero's journey and mythology because every trilogy every character i could probably do that with but yep. anyway so so did the antigone um your adaptation did that arise from <clears throat> the theater side or the humanity side um it came about in a couple ways one because uh my standard practice at my school is we do we do two shows every school year it's usually a musical in the spring and then a non-musical or a straight play in the fall and I try to mix in something classical or based out of classical every few years. And at the time when I was trying to figure out what to do the next uh, fall, 
um, this one particular year, three years ago now. Um, I had just done Shakespeare or something that was kind of spun off of Shakespeare a couple of years prior. So we were due to do something classical again in that, um, that fall straight play slot. And I hadn't done anything Greek in a while. Uh, or actually, I don't think I'd done anything Greek at all yet at that point. Um, so that was kind of in my head. And the other thing that, that happened that kind of spurred it was we were striking the set, taking the set down from the musical that the spring before that, uh, beginning of May. And I'm standing on stage, and our stage has in the back, uh, if you're standing on stage looking at the back of the stage, in the back left-hand corner, in the back stage right corner, we have this ginormous spiral staircase that goes all the way, big steel spiral staircase, that goes all the way up to the fly loft, which is like six, eight stories above the stage floor. And I always thought it was just a really cool thing to look at. And I was thinking to myself, it's a shame the audience doesn't ever get to, get to see that. And I had been involved in a couple of plays back in, in grad school that were site-specific theater, meaning that instead of doing the play in a theater, you do it in some other site, whether that's outdoors in a park or in somebody's house with a really small invited audience or in a restaurant or whatever, and you use the space itself as the setting for the play. Instead of having to build a set and make imaginary scenery and stuff, you use what's already there. So that combination of the idea of how cool it is to sit on our stage and, and look at the back part of the stage the audience doesn't usually get to see, um, along with this idea of, you know, it's about time I do something Greek. It was kind of those two things combined that made me start thinking about this idea of what if we had a Greek tragedy, because Greek plays all the time nowadays, get transplanted into other eras and other locations and stuff. What if we tried to make it happen in this space and made this space work for it? Cause it'd be really fun. You know, this was a standard, this is a standard big proscenium theater that's got 300 seats, um, lovely cushioned, you know, seats. And the audience never gets to sit on stage and be up close with the actors. And I'd been wanting to try to bring the audience members on stage for a few years at that point in time. So it was those two things together that, gave me this idea of doing a Greek play on the stage and using the stage as the space itself. And then um, kind of spinning off of that came this idea of what kind of uh, environment should I put it in? What kind of plot within the Greek plays is gonna work well? And the other thing that I constantly have to be worried about is who do I have that I can cast in the show? I never, being a community college theater uh, director is a bit like being a, um, like a like a, a single A baseball coach because you never really know who you're going to have the next year. You got some people that kind of are that are members of the community who come back and forth, but as far as students go, you never know who's going to be here one year and gone next. And I knew that I had several strong ladies at the time, okay. um, so that kind of narrowed things down. Um, I wanted something that was going to be. I was trying to save a bunch of money as well, which is part of the reason why I wanted to use the space itself for the visual kind of dynamic of it. Cause I knew that the musical the next year was going to be really expensive. Um, so I didn't want to do something like, I don't know, Medea or something like that, that, that okay. requires lots of special effects to right. make it work. Right. I wanted something that was a little more kind of straightforward. Um, so it was the combination of those two things together, along with the fact that, Oh, this was, it was 2016 that I was writing this cause it was, the political campaign was going on during the time and just the general kind of vibe of what all that was about. Um, it was those two things combined that kind of, and my own kind of personal um, 
political ideology, I guess is kind of the way to think about it, um, led me towards Antigone. And I was already familiar with Antigone because I had been in an adaptation of it in grad school and I had uh, seen at least one other production of it elsewhere. And I was showing part of the other part that combined into inspiring it was there was a production at the National uh, Theater in London, uh, like maybe 2014, 2013, something like that. Okay. And that setting for it was in a bunker uh, underground where a government, uh, the head of a government had basically enclosed all of his like personnel in this bunker while a war was going on like over their heads. And it was done in like, um, kind of like 50s kind of year, 1950s, okay, something yeah. like that. Um, so yeah, that, it was those kind of things along with my whole thing personally with politics these days is not left or right. It is railing against the divide in our country. Um, I'm naturally a theater person, so I'm all about collaboration and trying to get personalities and people to work together they wouldn't normally work together. And so the times that we're in right now don't bode well for that. Everybody just wants to <laughs> yell and scream about what they believe and then take their ball and go home. So that falls in really well with the basic way that Antigone works too, because it's literally about two very strong opinions, butting heads and how that plays out. The person who's got power versus the person who doesn't. Um, and so that's kind of where it all okay, came yeah. from. That yeah. yeah, that makes sense. And because, yeah, I was wondering why to adapt a, a one of these ancient ancient plays, why Antigone, but obviously didn't think about the casting issues and that it is yeah. such a female heavy, which is yeah. which is unique, you know, with those old plays yeah, for, for Greek don't stuff, tend sure. to be to have that many women and that many strong, good, meaty roles like like that. Yeah. So so yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And yes, I have to say, as I read it, I I read it and said, oh, I know Brad wrote this. This, this sounds <laughs> yeah. like Brad. I can hear his politics, politics yeah. in in this play. Um, so definitely, I, I was commenting to to Nikki um, Sunday night that that I, I really enjoyed reading it. But I, that I also like, yep, yep, and I I know the playwright. I know who know who wrote this. Um, oh, hold on, there we go. Um, and I've also been been told from a really young age, like third grade or something on one of my one of my uh, early elementary school teachers was like, you you write like you talk. And I was yeah. like, oh, is that a bad thing? She's like, no, that's a good no. thing. Like she says, you have a very specific voice. You write like you talk. Yeah. I've kind of run with that. You know, yeah. And yeah, that's that's. Um criticism that I've gotten and depending on the professor it was wasn't always good but most of my yeah. writing teachers like yeah no keep you've got a style keep using it I'm like awesome yeah. that's great um so um and so I, I think you've already talked talked a bit about about the putting modern politics or how how it how it speaks to modern politics um was I know you used you know a uh an old translation that's publicly available and is in the public domain. Um, yeah. Did you did you look at multiple translations before you picked the one that you you used as your basis, or did you um, just grab um, the, I, the one that I was didn't out there do that like yeah, I didn't do super extensive research. Um, I looked at two or three, and I knew going into it that I was going to basically be going line for line, mm -hmm. like just literally yeah. adapting each individual line and trying to make it. Um, feel like 
I mean, my kind of goal was I wanted it to feel like something that, that the average community college student would go home and watch on Netflix or see on HBO or something mm-hmm. like that, given that the school that, that, that it was going to be produced in is a little more, uh, a little less liberal than if I was at a school in Kalamazoo, but right. it's a little more purple than Kalamazoo. Is. Yeah. So I didn't want to go too crazy with the language, but I wanted it to feel, you know, modern and, and edgy-ish as much as I could. Um, so I wanted to find a translation, a translation that was already relatively neutral and easy for me mm-hmm. to kind of take and extrapolate it and move it forward a bit. And that one was simple enough, um, both in how it described things and in kind of just the general dialogue that it put in there. It was it was easier for me to adapt than some of the others that sure. that really felt more like old English. Yeah, you know. and there and I mean yeah, and there are some that that are really old and. Obviously, I'm working from texts that I own, so they're much newer. They're not public domain yet. But having read um, the Fitz and who am I working off of? Fitz and Fitzgerald's translation from like the late 30s back to back. You know, I finished that and then read read yours. It really is very, very closely aligned with with that ancient text. But at the same time, it feels it feels current. It feels, it feels like the way people talk today and not, it, not, it doesn't lose the poetry, but at the same time, it, it doesn't feel old. Um, right. So I, I think it's really well adapted for. I tried to, I don't know how much of it comes through when you, when you produce it, you know, live, but in kind of the description at the beginning of the script where it's talking to the actors and telling them how to kind of set up where their brains mm-hmm. are at. It's that this, it's this super isolated community that kind of attaches their sense of uh, morality and religion to a certain extent directly back to Greek mythology because they're hearkening back to the democracy that used to be the United States right. and they're connecting those two things together. So it, while it feels more modern day and contemporary when they get more um, monologue and more grandiose in what they're saying, it does kind of fall back into more of a poetic formal yeah. kind of a yeah kind of a feel. Um, and since most people who are listening to this will have no clue <laughs> what what you did with the adaptation, um, can you talk a little bit about just like the production design? Um, so you talked about the set being the stage, but sure. also some of the audiovisual components that that you wrote into it. I know you weren't able in your production to ultimately manage all of those things, but some of those concepts you had with the the anchors and the newscasters and right. and some of that technology conceptually that that's um, going on with with it. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. Um, so the basic premise behind it was that this is, um, <laughs> to, to, to uh, paraphrase uh, MST3K, it's the not too distant future. Uh, and uh, this is after the American uh, government has basically collapsed. Um, so you have no longer a federal government at all. Everything is kind of isolated from to Siller, this particular show takes place in Thebes County, um, which used to be a county in a larger state. We don't, they don't necessarily say what state that is particularly, but it's all basically run by the folks that live within that state, the folks who used to be in charge of 
the, the family that used to be in charge of that city. Um, and they've taken over a community college, an abandoned community college that no longer has support from the state or from the government. And the room that they've chosen to kind of be kind of the throne room of sorts and also kind of like the community gathering area where they do these weekly closed circuit TV broadcasts and getting people caught up on news and the, the propaganda or whatever of the city is all on, on this stage. So that kind of was our excuse for using the stage itself as the place where the audience is gathered um, to watch this kind of news production that's going on. And the, the Greek chorus are, are these anchors, a set of three, uh, three anchors um, that kind of walk the audience through the news. And another thing that I really like is this kind of idea of guerrilla theater where you have audience members become a part of the show without realizing they're gonna be part of the show when they walk in. So the audience is addressed um, the, throughout the course of the entire show as if they're members of this town that have, they haven't necessarily been mandated they've showed up, but, but good citizens show up and attend one of these tapings every now and then. And so the people in the, in the audience are addressed in that kind of fashion, breaking the fourth wall and whatnot. So the, the way the spiral staircase came into, into play is um, Tiresias, who's the, the soothsayer psychic type person, um, the actor playing Tiresias spends two thirds of the entire show literally sitting up in the fly loft uh, six stories above the rest of the audience, just sitting up there. In this case, he was literally up there with his Game Boy, uh, waiting for his time to go on stage. And then when his entrance happens, he descends down that spiral staircase uh, onto stage. And there's there's foreshadowing about him being up there where the, the characters talk about mm -hmm. the soothsayer who lives on the roof and burns effigies and all that kind of stuff up on the roof. Um, and then when Antigone gets taken away, Later in the show, the notion was that we were going to have her um, imprisoned below the stage in our storage area that's down there where we keep sets and costumes and props and stuff normally. And we were going to do a what looked to be a live feed, uh, closed circuit uh, feed of her, like in her cell down there. We basically, more than anything, it wasn't a lack of the tech to do it. It was we just simply ran out of time to get that part of it done. So we kind of finagled our way into making that stuff happen without having that live video feed taking place. And the script is written and it's mm -hmm. descriptive enough that you don't have to see it. It just would have been cool to have done it. Right. And if I if we bring it back, we'll eventually do that. And if we do a resurrection of the performance in a, in a few years. Um, so yeah, and then the, the offstage area where the dressing rooms, rooms are was kind of the place where the, the quote-unquote royal family like lived and were housed. So they made all their entrances from there. Um, we had a big, huge, we have a big, huge garage door at the back of the stage, which we can use to bring scenery in and out from the shop. Uh, you know, three-story tall garage door that we had a couple of key moments where it was brought up and down with a lot of you know clunking and noise and whatnot had fog and light upstage um and then when the anchors would go into their their big their big shared monologues big uh big poetic diatribes at the end of most of the scenes the the um i'm blanking on the word for what they're called right the now. Uh, yeah. yeah um they shared those and it was divided amongst them but we had projections uh, front projections on this gigantic kind of stained um, big drop cloth 
that was in front of the garage door so that we had visual projections that went along with them giving the both giving the news and also giving these kind of breakout speeches catching the audience up on the action or going into these poetic kind of philosophical commentary on what was happening on stage off to the side. Cool. so it was all that stuff all kind of combined and then everybody was dressed in um kind of generic contemporary clothing that had obviously seen better days and had been pulled out of you know a costume shop that had been stored for years and years out of mothballs so that it wasn't a fresh suit brought from the store it was something that had been sitting for 30 years that just happened to fit this anchor or that soldier or whatever and they they wore that stuff for their for their costumes nice um so how was how was it received i mean what did your students think what did the cast you know the cast think the audience members um as far as both both the adaptation of the ancient play and just the the play itself like especially the audience that immersive we're all culpable as now being part of this in in what's happened in this story yeah. um and and then of, of course you know yeah your your students this yeah it was it was a really interesting uh, experiment in a lot of ways because a this was the first time that, that anybody at campus now had heard of or knew of when the audience was sitting on stage so a lot of regular audience members were, were floored by that and then there's a there's a ton of young like students at the time who the only play they've ever seen was whatever random you know mm -hmm. musical or Romeo and Juliet they saw at the cafe gymatorium at their high school right. or whatever in the previous years so they're used to a big proscenium setup where you're 30 40 feet away from the the actors so that was immersive enough as it was and then I made the choice to when the audience came in in the 30 minutes before the show opens there's no music going on oh wow okay it was <laughs> literally it wasn't total silence I had a sound effect track built that was like the sound of crows like on the roof okay. every now and then calling a little bit of wind you would hear random gunshots like in the distance every now and then like every five or six minutes nothing like constant or anything like that um and you had the stage manager a character who was one of the the anchors would like come out and greet people a couple times and tell them to get their seats and here's how long until we start taping and whatnot even our announcements before the show started like plugging the next semester's show right. and whatnot were all done in that kind of a reality um i got some really great feedback from because i have lots of students that that i forcibly require to go and right. see all of the shows <laughs> so that they have one shared experience because especially for that humanities class they, they can make it see whatever they want within all the art forms that we cover, but the, the stage play we're doing that semester is the one thing that they all have to go and see. So we've all got something we can all talk about together. And I got really great feedback from them saying things like, you know, I never thought I would, I would enjoy sitting down and watching a Greek tragedy, or I got so, you know, I got so pissed off at Creon for yeah. what he was doing. I know the actor who played Creon um, had this really nice kind of yin and yang response to the entire thing, both thanking me and cursing me because <laughs> just, a boatload of lines and has a big, uh, a big emotional. He's got big any, in any kind of big tragedy. <laughs> yeah, he's the he's the tragic hero in a lot of ways, even more so than Antigone is. Yeah, he's got a bigger ride to go on emotionally than she does. Um, so he was exhausted at the end of every single night, both mentally and like emotionally, mm -hmm, sure. from going through all that. Um, I got some good feedback from a couple of the English professors who really, really liked oh, it. Oh, good, or, yeah, or encouraging. Um, who actually, you know, like knew their stuff and whatnot too, which was which which helped me. 
because um, this is the first kind of like quote unquote full length thing. It's not a super long show anyway, mm-hmm. but I've done some like one acty kind of things and, and seen things previous to this. Um, so uh, it was, it was, it was uh, really encouraging. And like I said, I'm, I'm looking forward to the possibility in, in the coming, you know, five, 10 years of bringing it back and doing it again um, at some point in time. And I've had little nibbles here and there without, I, I haven't like gotten, uh, I don't have any kind of um, exposure with uh, any kind of a playwriting perspective of people putting my play out there. Right. Yeah, and I've had people like every six months or so, I get somebody who sends me an email out of the blue because it's listed under adaptations uh, of Antigone under Wikipedia. Oh, so I've gotten okay. like a couple of professors at different schools and community college directors who are just looking through different adaptations mm-hmm. and want to do that specific show. And they've looked me up that way. Um, so nobody else has, has put it on yet, but I'm, but I'm getting nibbles here and there, which is, sure. which is cool. Yeah, um, that is. Too. So is there, um, somewhere online where people can see production photos? Um, um, they're kind there. of scattered about right now. Um, Cause my college, the official photos that they took of it, they go like through cycles. Okay. So um, they don't keep it up. Yeah. Right. It's, yeah. they've got it all kind of stockpiled, but it's not always accessible to everybody okay. you know, generally. Um, That's too bad. Yeah, I, I, I remember photos. seeing the production photos when, when it was mounted and it seemed like this looks pretty cool. It looks like, a, looks like an interesting, interesting production. And of course not, I, I could not fit it into my life to, to get over to, to see it, but, right. um, but having now read, read the script and having seen the photos, I'm like, okay, I, I can put, put those images together with what I'm reading. So this sure. is pretty cool. I can um, send you some. Yeah. If you want to, if you, um, you want to use them, so for, you, um, yeah. For, if if you're yeah. if you're good with me putting some up on the blog for people to to come and see, I can link link to that in the show notes, and, totally. and people can can come over and see that. Um, thank you so much for for talking about this. Um, and obviously, it, if there's um, any any other of these ancient ancient Greek or or Roman, once I get to the Romans, um, place that you decide to do, if you go for one of those comedies and do a little Plautus, um, All right. <laughs> then I would be happy to talk about adapting some of that for, for a modern stage as well yeah. in the future. Um, but my, my next project playwriting wise is going to be this summer because I'm, I'm writing my first like full on completely original, uh, piece. Yeah. It's going to be, that's going to be performed at the um the plan is for it to be performed at the at the fringe festival in edinburgh in, oh wow uh, three or four years um wow. so i'm making it and it's, it's being built to be both a one act because all the fringe shows have to be like right. 45 minutes ish yeah. but then it's also going to be there's going to be a to full-fledged version of it too so that's what i'm working on next but you know, yeah, who knows? Yeah, exactly. adaptations well, are fun it well and even and even if you're you fi- find you're directing without necessarily writing an adaptation like you did with Antigone, but just working from, from one of those Oscar Wilde translations, um, sure. <laughs> that, you know, that's like, yeah, I'd be yeah, happy to, I'd be happy to, to, yeah, just hear, hear about that process. And again, um, if, for people who actually pop over to the blog for, for the podcast, what they'll see is a lot of the questions that I, I have with discussion prompts for all of the plays are so, 
it, the emotion that's in this is still relevant today. The, the, all of the, the things that are happening still are relevant to being human today. Yep. So, so how do you make the play feel relevant to an audience today when we know emotionally that it is? So, um, so it's been great talking about how, how you took, took this, this ancient, you know, this 2,500 year old work and made it, made it, clearly relevant um to what what life looks like today and to politics today and 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 all of that so i appreciate yeah. appreciate talking with you and and i'll let you get back to the the joys of homeschooling and i'm going to see what what anna is up to at the moment as well yep i'll, I'll talk One to you later for the other yep <laughs> thanks again thanks friend yep bye bye I would like to again thank Brad for taking some time out of his day to talk to me. As we discussed, I'll be posting some production photos on the blog. The link, as always, is in the show notes. And if you're a director who is interested in this version of Antigone, you can also find Brad's contact info in the show notes, and I'll also include that on the blog. Tomorrow, we'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming with a much shorter episode about Book 8 of the Iliad. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.